You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. I want to begin with a question for you this morning, not a hard question, uh, but here's the question. How many of you enjoy a good cup of coffee? Amen. Yeah, I thought I'd get a lot of amens. <laughs> it's how I start my day every day. First thing I do when I get up uh, is I go to the coffee pot, make the coffee, and then I get a cup of coffee, Ritz crackers and peanut butter, only Ritz crackers and peanut butter. <laughs> And I hit the recliner and I try to spend the first part of my day in the Word and, uh, and worship. But I, I certainly enjoy my coffee. Now, some weeks ago, actually months ago, I was at a conference and someone came up to me and gave me a bag of coffee beans and said, this is the most expensive coffee in the world. Now, I, I didn't know whether they were telling me the truth or not, because I'm not a connoisseur of coffee and I'm just, I just like coffee. Um, so, you know, pretty much anything will do for me. As long as it's black and strong, I'm set. Uh, but they handed me this bag of coffee and said, uh, um, most expensive coffee in the world. And so I received, this was actually the bag. I received this bag and it said Kopi Luwak. And I had no idea. And so when I got back home from the conference, I thought, well, I'm going to check this out. And see if he's telling me the truth. See what he gave me. And sure enough, when I went online, how many of you know, if you ever want to know anything, what do you do? You Google it. So I Googled Kopi Luwak. And this is what I discovered. Depending on where you're at around the world, you would pay $35 to $100 a cup for a cup of Kopi Luwak coffee. If you were going to buy a pound of these beans, it would be $350 a pound. You thought Starbucks was expensive, right? $350 a pound. So that further piqued my curiosity. I thought, how in the world can it be $350 a pound? So I continued to do my research, dug a little deeper, and uh, what I came to discover was not pleasant. Matter of fact, it's the reason I still have this coffee today, and I've not ground the coffee. So let me tell you how you get to a $350 a pound coffee. In the country of Indonesia, that's where this coffee, um, these coffee beans are harvested. In the country of Indonesia, um, where coffee is grown, I don't know if you would be aware of this, but it's actually the coffee cherry. So there's pulp on the outside, and then there's a seed or a bean, a coffee bean, on the inside. Well, in the country of Indonesia, there's a little mammal called a civet cat or a kopi cat. And this Kopi cat, uh, yeah, here's a picture, a uh, little Kopi cat there. And what's in front of the Kopi cat are uh, coffee cherries. Well, this Kopi cat, like, loves coffee cherries. And so the Kopi cat, or the civet cat, consumes uh, the coffee cherries and digests the pulp around the bean, but doesn't digest the bean. You know where I'm going with this, right? (laughs) So over a process of 24 hours, as the bean is passing through the civet cat, eventually the civet cat defecates the bean. And and this is true. I I said, I couldn't make this up. (laughs) The farmers in Indonesia gather the feces. They call it the golden feces. And they harvest the bean out of the... Because the bean doesn't... Um, uh, doesn't digest, so they harvest the bean, they wash it, roast it, and you get Kopi Luwak coffee. 
How many of you had a cup of coffee when you came in this morning? <laughs> Kofi Luwak. No, just kidding. Just kidding. But as I was thinking about, as I was thinking about this, I thought, wow, there is an undesirable process that's bringing about a priceless product. Think about that. There's an undesirable process. The coffee bean is passing through the animal. How many, how many would agree? Undesirable process. That's bringing about a priceless product, $350 a pound. As I was thinking about that, you know, if you're a preacher, you're always trying to find, okay, what's the spiritual analogy? As I was thinking about that, I thought, is it not the same that happens in our lives? There's the undesirable processes of life that's bringing about a priceless product. It's the undesirable processes of life that's bringing about the refining of our faith. Each of us, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then what you're in is you're in a refining process. We're in the refining process of becoming more like Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says that we are, be, we are to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. In other words, we're, we're to take on the shape, the likeness of Jesus Christ in our lives. So our goal every day is what? Our goal every day is to become more like Christ. Because I think the challenge for every one of us this morning, if we're honest, is that there's too much of us in us. Amen. Or let's make it personal, personal this morning. There's too much of you in you. You know, if you were to look for the individual that causes most of the challenges in your life, you don't have to look far, do you? It's you. There's too much of us in us. What do we need? We need less of us and more of Christ. Would you agree with that? Turn to your neighbor and say, I need less of me and more of Jesus. Go ahead and tell him. It's true. What do we need? Less of us and more of Jesus. That refining process. In Pastor Rick Warren's book, he made this statement. God's ultimate goal for your life on earth is not comfort, but character development. He wants you to grow spiritually and become like Christ. It's this process that Peter speaks of. 1 Peter chapter 1 is our text for the morning. Peter speaks of this process, this refining process of what God's bringing about in our lives. So, so let's read what Peter wrote here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. It's on the screen. So let's read this together. Would you read this with me? In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Can we go back to the previous slide, verse 7? Notice he says, these, speaking of the trial, speaking of the adversity, speaking of the challenge, he says, these have come for this purpose that your faith, Notice the value God puts on our faith. What do we treasure in this world? What do we treasure on earth? We treasure gold, right? If, if I were to ask you, what's the most precious metal today? Somewhere at the top of the list, it would be gold. 
Man's pursuit for years, I mean, study history, there have been a lot of wars because of gold. The pursuit of man being gold. But notice what God says, the refining of your faith. These trials have come for the purpose of the refining of your faith. That's of greater worth, greater value than gold. See, well, we're, well, we have the tendency to be chasing after the things of this world and growing our retirement or, or growing our bank account. What God's really interested in is just the growing of our faith. The maturing of our faith. Because, listen, if you want to talk about what lasts into eternity, what has value into eternity, it is our faith. What will we be rewarded for in eternity? It's our faith. So what's God interested in? He's interested in the refining, the maturing of our faith. He's interested in us becoming more like Christ. So what's the work of the Holy Spirit? What's the work of God's Word? Listen, the purpose of God's Word is not just to give you rules to follow. The purpose of God's Word is to be a part of that refining process in your life. The maturing of your faith. God is so committed to you. This is what He does. He uses undesirable processes to bring about the priceless product of your faith. Think about that. The maturing of your faith. The, the growing, the, the growth of your faith. So according to Peter, we're, we're all in this refining process of God growing us, bringing about processes in our lives for the maturing of our faith. I think you would all agree with me this morning that the greatest times of challenge in your life have actually become the greatest places of growth. It's, listen, it's, it's not the easy places of life that we grow. It's the challenging places. Matter of fact, let's do a quick survey this morning. So you have two options, the easy places or the challenging places. Which would you say, just thinking about your own life, your own faith journey, which would you say you've grown the most in? In the easy times? In the hard times? Yeah. We're all there. That's the reality. It's the adversity. It's the challenges. Listen, here's the reality. Jesus, this is what Jesus said in John 16.33. says, in this world you will have trouble. Or we might say it like this. In this world you will have hardship. In this world, you will have adversity. In other words, it's not abnormal, it's quite normal. And it's in the midst of the adversity that there's the opportunity for the maturing of our faith. The growth in our lives, the process of us becoming more like Christ. Again, it's the undesirable processes of life that's bringing about this priceless product of, of who Christ has you to be, of who Christ wants you to be, what you're, what you're growing to. However, just because we have challenges and adversity doesn't mean that we have growth. Listen, how many of you know you can have adversity and challenges and be miserable and not grow? And what you get out of it is what you get a miserable experience. So just to have adversity, just to have challenges, just to have undesirable process doesn't mean we're going to automatically come to maturity or growth. It requires a right response. Matter of fact, this, this, I, I think of this as the hinge point. What's really critical is how do you respond to the adversity? How do you respond to the challenge? Because again, for me, I, I, I mean, I think I've pretty much figured this out. In your life, you're going to have challenges. 
If you're not there today, then get ready this week. If not this week, then next week. Because again, folks, hear me. It is the reality of life. So you will have adversity, and how you respond to the adversity determines the outcome. One of my mentors, Dr. John Maxwell, makes this statement. He says, whenever you fall down, make sure you pick something up. In other words, don't just fall down and have the pain. Don't just fall down and have the misery of the experience. When you're down, make sure you pick something up. You only pick something up if you have a right response. So what's the right response? Really simple this morning. I want to give you three right responses to the place of of adversity so that they can become places of God's blessing, places of growth in your life. Because again, your response is going to really determine the outcome. I can already tell you what God's plan is for your life. His plan is good. His plan is for your growth, for your development, for your great future. My question is, is are you going to set the stage for that? Are you going to make way for that? So really quick, three right responses to the adversity, the challenge in our life. Here's the first right response is ask what, not why. How many of you know we always like to ask why? Why? We want what? We want information. We want more details. We, we want to know the backstory. We want to know the why. In my 25 years of pastoral counseling and interacting with people, this is what I've come to discover. Individuals who get stuck in the why miss the opportunity of the what. Individuals who get stuck in the why often lose hope in their lives and in the situation. Individuals who get stuck in the why have a tendency to want to blame someone else. It's their fault. It's God's fault. Why? 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 Instead of, instead of asking why, ask, ask what? God, what do you want to do with this in my life? Several months ago, I was interacting with a woman who was in my office. Horrible, horrible situation. I can't go into all the details because I don't have time, but here's the short of the story. Her 19-year-old son accidentally shot a police officer. Now, the good news is police officer was fine, didn't require hospital stay, but how many of you know shooting a police officer, not a good deal? And so this mom, and for all the moms in the room today, you'll get this. This mom is in my office, and she is wrecked because now her 19-year-old son is going to spend most of his life in prison. And she's in my office just bawling, asking, I mean, this went on for 30 minutes. Why? Why did God allow this to happen? Why would my son be in the wrong place at the wrong time? Why would the legal system be so against my son? Why did we not get the break that we should have? I mean, it just, why, 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 why? And I was trying to be sensitive because here's a mom whose heart's broken for her son because of the situation in his life. And I didn't want to, like, be insensitive, but after about 30 minutes of the why, I said to this mom, I said, can I suggest that we move from why to what? What might God want to do in this situation? What might God want to do in your son's life? In what way might God want to reveal his greatness in this situation and in your son's life? See, we, when we're in the midst of the adversity, we have to move from why to what? And when we move to what, then we open the way for God to reveal 
His fullness in that situation. See, what I'm confident of this morning is that God is good and He's always working for our good. Let me say that again. God is good and He's always working for our good. Maybe turn to your neighbor and say, my God's good and He's working for my good. Go ahead and tell Him. Man, we got to get that in our brain. God is good and He's working for my good. Listen, Romans 8.28 says this, in all things, not some things, not part of the time, but in all that. How many of you know all covers what? It covers all. In all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. In all things, in every situation, we may not have all the answers we want. But in all things, this is what we're kind of. God is working. He's working for our good. So when, when you choose to ask what, you set yourself up for a growth experience. So the first right response is ask what, not why. Here's the second right response in the midst of the challenge, the adversity. Because what we're wanting to embrace that for our good. Here's the second right response. Embrace the adversity. Don't curse it. Embrace it. Don't curse it. When I say embrace it, I'm suggesting that you own it as an opportunity, as an opportunity for God to refine, as an opportunity for God to bring good. And when challenges come our way, we can grumble and complain, or we can choose to live on the positive side. That's a choice every one of us have. If you curse the adversity, then one or two things is going to happen. Either you're going to get stuck in your hard place, or you're going to miss the benefit of the hard place and just be miserable. And that's what happened to the children of Israel. If you recall their story, after 400 years in bondage in Egypt, God sends Moses to deliver to bring his people out of Egypt. Why? Because he wanted to take them to the promised land. And so they're in the wilderness... The wilderness became their place of adversity. They're in the wilderness in the middle of a miracle. I mean, they've seen God do some pretty dynamic things like parting the Red Sea, like water from a rock. They've experienced the miraculous. God. Every morning they're getting up and having quail and manna that God has provided. Every morning they're reminded of the fact that they're in the middle of a miracle. But as they're in the middle of the miracle, as they're in the adversity of the wilderness, they begin to whine and complain. Rather than embracing the adversity, they cursed the adversity. Numbers chapter 11. I want to read just a couple verses that kind of illustrates the situation that the children of Israel were in. And remember as I read this, this, this is their response in the middle of a miracle. It says, now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and fire, uh, and the fire died down. So the place was called Tabra because the fire from the Lord had burned among them. Verse 4 goes on to say, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing. And said, if only we had meat to eat. And we remember fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Really? No cost? Man, they were beating your backs. You were forced to slave labor. And you say there was no cost? So here they are in the middle of a miracle. Yet the adversity of the wilderness. And they're whining and complaining. And listen, they never made it to the promised land. 
they missed the future that God had for them. Well, it was their complaint. It was their whining. It was their wailing. Rather than embracing the adversity, they cursed it. Hear me, friends. This is so important. Complaint is the language of hell. Praise is the language of heaven. Complaint will close your life to God's work. Praise will open your life to God's work. So in the midst of the adversity, listen, don't curse it. Embrace it. Embrace the refining process. And when you do, you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed at how God works in your life. We want to do what James says. James chapter 1 verse 2. James says this. Rejoice in the midst of the adversity. In other words, it reads kind of like this. Count it all joy when you face trials of a variety of kinds. In other words, James is saying in the middle of the adversity, throw a party. We want to embrace it. Don't curse it. And as we embrace it, it's there, again, that God can bring His greatness. Here's a, a third right response to adversity and challenge. Kind of like the second, but a little different. We want to worship through it, don't whine through it. Worship through it, don't whine through it. How many of you know some whiners? Don't look to the left or right right now. Look straight ahead. How many of you know at least one whiner? So when you're in the midst of the adversity, don't whine through it. Worship through it. Worship through it and open the way for God to bring, again, His greatness. See, worship, worship of God has the ability to change our perspective and to change us. So, so when adversity comes, don't just sit around and whine and crumble and complain. Allow your hard place, whatever that might look like, to be a place that you build what I call an altar of worship. In the midst of this adversity, what I'm, gonna, I'm gonna build an altar of worship. See, what I've discovered in my own life is that complaint magnifies the problem, but worship magnifies God in the midst of the problem. Big difference. Complaint makes the problem bigger. Worship makes God bigger in the midst of the situation. So in the midst of the adversity, we, we want to worship through it, not, not whine through it. We have a great illustration of this in the book of Habakkuk. In the Old Testament, the minor prophets, there's, you've got to trust me in this, because I know some of you haven't been there in quite some time, but there's this little book called Habakkuk. Three chapters long. And Habakkuk is actually known, it's, it, it's, it's, it's kind of sad that he got this bad rap, but, but he's known as the complaining prophet. How would you like to be that? That's the way people know you. Well, Cotton, he's the complainer. Well, Habakkuk, the prophet, is known as the, the, the complaining prophet. And if you were to read the three chapters of the book of Habakkuk, what you would find is most of the verses within the book are about complaint. God, where are you at? God, what are you doing? God, why would you use the wicked Babylonians to bring judgment against Israel? Why, why, why? What's interesting is he comes to the end of this book that's really a book about complaint, full of complaint. As he comes to the end of the book, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, he writes these words. Now, he doesn't have all the answers he wants. Doesn't understand what he's walking through. Doesn't understand why God would use the Babylonians to bring judgment against the nation of Israel. So there's a lot he doesn't understand in the midst of the adversity, though I want you to notice the response he comes to. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 says, though, there are no fig, though the fig tree does not bud, 
and there's no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there's no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet, yet, this is, this is my response, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my Savior. Wow. This prophet of complaint comes to a place of worship. He said, in the midst of the adversity, and we don't want to whine through it, we want to worship through it. And when we worship through it, there's three things that, ha- that happen really quick. When you worship, the first thing that happens is this. When we worship, we change our focus. We shift, we shift our focus from the adversity to the one who can bring help in the adversity. Psalm 42, 5, the psalmist wrote these words. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. So what worship shifts our focus. Here's the second thing that happens when we worship. When we worship, we change our attitude. Listen, it's impossible to worship and at the same time maintain a negative attitude. That's kind of like sneezing and keeping your eyes open. Did you know that you cannot sneeze and keep your eyes open? Absolutely impossible. This is what I can guarantee you. If you sneeze, you're going to close your eyes. In the same fashion, listen, you cannot maintain a negative attitude and at the same time, be engaging in worship. Not possible. Changes your attitude. And this is what I discovered. When your attitude changes, the outcome changes. Thirdly, when we worship, we open the way for God's presence. For God's presence. You know, God's present everywhere all the time. There's a word that we use to try to define that. It's called omnipresence. The omnipresence of God. He's everywhere all the time. And, and that's true. But there's also something called the manifest presence. The manifest presence. And that's what happens as we worship. That's why we have this scripture in Psalms that says God inhabits the praises of his people. What does he do? He brings his manifest presence in the place of worship. That's why it's so critical when we're in these adversities, these challenges, we want to worship through it, not whine through it. And this is what I know this morning. God's making every one of you into Kopi Luwak. <laughs> There's an undesirable process or processes that's bringing about a priceless product. The maturing of your faith. That's of greater worth. That's of greater value than go. So when we come to the adversity, again, either you're there or you're going to be there soon. It's the reality of life. Three things that I hope you'll remember. I'm going to ask what instead of why. I'm going to embrace the adversity. And I'm going to worship through it, not whine through it. I want to leave you this morning with a quote by Pastor Rick Warren. When I read this quote, it was so life-giving to me. Uh, I, I wanted to leave you with it this morning. He says, regardless of the cause, none of your problems could happen without God's permission. Everything that happens to a child of God is father-filtered. I love that. Father-filtered. And he intends to use it for good, even when Satan and others mean it for bad. 
the goodness of God in our lives. Well, Lord, we thank you this morning for your work. Lord, the reality is, is there's, there's the troubles, the challenges, the adversity. And Lord, I, I thank you that, Lord, through this, not that you create it. Lord, oftentimes it's other people. Oftentimes it's the, it's the strategy of hell staged against us. But God, this is what I'm confident of in any every situation. Because you are good, you bring good. So we thank you for that. We thank you that, that everything comes, that comes to us is Father-filtered. And that your love for us never changes. With every head bowed and eye closed, possibly you're in a place of just challenge or of adversity or difficulty. I, I want to pray for you this morning. And before you raise your hand, let me tell you, I'm not going to pray that God gets you out of it. I'm going to pray that God grows you through it. That He brings His presence as you ask what. That He, he brings greater revelation of who He is in the midst of that. And, and that He grows you through it as to the greater plans and purposes He has for your life. So if you're in that place, say, I just really quick, I want to pray with you before we conclude. You just say, I'm in a challenging place. I want to pray that these three things we just talked about would be a reality in your life. So really quick, just raise your hand. Lord, I pray this morning for everyone who has their hand raised, who right now is in a place of adversity, whatever, whatever that is, God, you know it. Well, not only do I pray for them, but I pray for everyone else in the room who didn't raise their hand because what I know is they're going to be there tomorrow or the next day or next week because, Jesus, you, you did say in this world you will have trouble. So, Lord, for those who are there now and for those who are yet to be there, Holy Spirit, help us. Holy Spirit, coach us. Holy Spirit, remind us to ask what, not why. Holy Spirit, help us to embrace the adversity, not curse it. Holy Spirit, help us to worship through it, not whine through it. That you might bring your the fullness of all that you are right where we're at. And that you might continue to bring about this maturing process, the maturing of our faith. Lord, even as your word says, it's, it's greater value than go. And Lord, we thank you for that this morning. We thank you for your faithfulness to us in every season of our lives. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God's good. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.